evidence and answers. U.S. News and World Report estimates that today nearly 50% of Americans cohabit one time or another before marriage. Most agree that living together is the best way to prepare for marriage. However, what does the Bible teach and what do the facts reveal? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat will present part two, the truth on cohabitation and why God's way before and after marriage is the best way for couples today. If you're unable to hear any of this broadcast, all of our studies are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now here's Pat with part two of cohabitation. We're addressing the issue of cohabitation, couples living together before they decide to get married. And more and more couples now are choosing cohabitation over marriage. It has become mainstream in American society and in Western culture today. In fact, as I stated last time, U.S. News and World Report estimate today that nearly 50% of Americans cohabit one time or another before marriage. It has become uh, mainstream in Western culture today. And the question many of us as believers in Christ get asked is, what's wrong with living together before we decide to get married? Cohabitating is the best way to get to know someone to see if we're compatible for marriage. Try before you buy. That's often the reasoning behind couples living together. And one of the things that I showed last time is all the research that is out there shows that try before you buy may work with buying cars, but it doesn't work in relationships. If you decide not to buy a car, the car doesn't get hurt. But however, in relationships, the two become one. There is a bonding that takes place in every part of your being, mental, spiritual, emotional, physical. And when that tears apart, there are tremendous consequences that is left behind. And the research has shown that cohabitating couples have less satisfaction in their relationships. They have less satisfaction when it comes to their sexual relationships, less ability to work out conflicts together. The commitment to remain together and work through difficult times is not there. The trust level is not there. So in almost every way, cohabitating actually hurts the relationship and hurts is detrimental to the future marriage, not beneficial. So the old cliche, try before you buy, living together with a person is the best way to get to know them before you get married, doesn't work. It's a failed idea. The best way is God's way. And he says to commit to one another and wait before marriage, that it's in the full commitment of marriage that couples enjoy the greatest joy and satisfaction in every part of the marriage, including communication, including the full sharing of life with one another. The greatest satisfaction comes because that trust and that commitment is brought into the marriage as couples who've remained faithful and waited for one another, bring that into the marriage. Whereas those who cohabitate value their freedom and their autonomy, and they view marriage more negatively as when they get into a marriage, they feel more trapped and restrained. Whereas couples who did not cohabit and wait feel 
Marriage is a liberating thing. It's the fulfillment of all they have faithfully committed and waited for. And so for all those reasons, as I shared last time, cohabitation is actually harmful to the relationship and to the future marriage. So if you missed that part of the show, you can log on at evidenceandanswers.org and listen to the previous show. And one of the reasons I gave all that research is because sometimes, instead of just quoting from the Bible, sometimes we have to argue to the Bible. And remember, all truth is God's truth. Truth eventually leads to its source, which is God. God is the source of all truth. God created marriage. It's not a man-made thing. God created the covenant of marriage. God created marriage. He knows how it works best. Marriage works best when we do it God's way. And often when couples reject the word of God or don't believe in God or don't want to listen to what the Bible says, often it's effective to present what the research shows And as I state, argue to the Bible. When you present the research and they begin to listen to what the research says, then at that point you can say, that's why the Bible and God commands this. So often that's a more effective way in communicating with those who are not believers in Christ or who just outright reject the Word of God. Display what the research shows and it supports the principles of God's Word. Then when you build that foundation, you can say, Well, that's why the Bible says this. So in the previous show, I presented what the research shows. Now, in this particular segment, let me present what God's Word has to say in regards to cohabitation. When it comes to the idea of couples living together, especially the male, they often want sex without the responsibility of commitment. And the woman views cohabitation as one step before marriage. She hopes this guy will be in a lifelong commitment, and this is one step to get there. However, there's devastating consequences in the misuse of sex. Sex is designed to take place in the covenant and in the commitment and committed relationship of marriage, where one man and one woman make that commitment to be together for a lifetime. Because there is a bonding that takes place. The Bible says the two become one. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31 states this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects the husband. So the sexual union involves the bonding, the completion of a couple becoming one flesh, sharing their life and a bonding, a strong bonding that takes place that's to culminate in the sexual relationship. To have that without the commitment and if that is broken and that relationship is broken after there's sexual activity involved. There's tremendous spiritual, psychological, and emotional damage that occurs. That's why God states that sex is to be protected in the context of marriage. That is why those who cohabit have much less satisfaction sexually than those who are committed in a relationship in the covenant of marriage. The Bible teaches that sex outside of marriage has damaging consequences. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 16 says this, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? 
For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one in spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So sex outside the context of marriage is actually destroying the person inside. It's not just an outward act, as the Bible teaches. There's a bonding that takes place. And there's emotional, spiritual, psychological damage that occurs when sex is abused and done outside the context of marriage. And so the person is actually damaging himself or herself when they're involved in sexual activity outside the context of the committed, loving, and safe relationship in the context that can only occur in the context of marriage. Only marriage provides the safety and security for meaningful sex for both the man and the woman. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 states this, Because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The most meaningful sex occurs in the context of marriage of two people who have committed to wait for one another and then, after they are married, have committed to be faithful to one another in the lifelong relationship and commitment of marriage. That's where the most meaningful sex will occur because it is a bonding of the two becoming one flesh, a bonding that takes place in every arena of the person and the relationship. That's why God commands that sex is reserved for those who have committed and are in the covenant of marriage. Sex is a good thing. It's something that God designed, but out of its proper context. But it is a dangerous thing when it is abused. Sex outside the context of marriage is the abuse of a good thing that God created. And it has damaging, devastating consequences when it is abused, when sex occurs outside the context of marriage. That's why cohabitation has damaging consequences to the future relationship and the future marriage. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says this, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. The sexually immoral, who is that? Well, it's anyone who has sex outside the context of marriage. And the adulterous, that's the same thing. Sex is reserved for two in a marriage relationship. Sex outside of that is immorality and adultery. And God says that the marriage bed is to be undefiled. In other words, it's to be reserved for a couple who have committed to a lifelong relationship in the covenant of marriage. Now, how do we deal with couples living together? Now, cohabitation is not a problem outside the church. It's also a huge problem inside the church. I speak in many churches often where a quarter to sometimes a third of the couples there are living together. Therefore, this issue needs to be addressed because it's not an issue just outside the church, but inside the church as well. So how do we address this issue in our churches? Well, first thing is we can't ignore it. We need to address the issue and call people who are living together to identify it as sin and call them to repentance and encourage them to confess their sin before the Lord. 
You know, it reminds me in Ezra chapter 9 and chapter 10, Ezra had to face the issue of intermarriage, that the people of Israel had intermarried with foreign women. And with that came the influence of the pagan religions that these foreign wives were bringing in. Apparently, these wives were uh, foreigners, but they had, the more important thing is they had not come to a saving knowledge of the Lord, the God of Israel. And so they were bringing in all these foreign gods and these foreign sinful practices into the community of Israel. The Levitical law allows for foreigners, if they do come to believe in Christ, to come into the community of Israel and God's covenant people. But apparently it was a problem here because these foreign wives had not. And in chapter 9, verse 1, it states, After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands with their abominations from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, and the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be their wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the land. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and the chief men has been foremost. So if you read the story of Ezra chapter 9 and 10, this was a tremendously difficult issue. Imagine addressing this issue, not just with your congregation, but on a national level. And Ezra courageously called the people to repentance, read them the law of God, and called them to repentance and called them to make things right before the Lord in their marriage relationships. And so the same thing that must be done here in the church with couples who are living together is to identify this as sin. It's not what God commands. It's not part of God's will for a relationship and to call them to address it as sin and to call couples living together to confess their sin and make things right before the Lord. Now, that's the first step. Now, first, let's deal with couples who are living together without children. That's a little bit easier. First thing we do is we need to explain God's principles for relationships and marriage then it's often good to ask the couple, why have they not chosen to marry but be in this kind of relationship? And then lovingly, we need to ask the couple to refrain and separate for six months and refrain from sexual activity. The reason is this helps in making a clear decision on the future of the relationship. Often it gets clouded when there's sexual activity and all this emotion involved. When they separate, hopefully they can clearly think through the, all of the issues, have a clearer picture of the relationship, and come to a more clear decision on what God wants for the future of this relationship. We ask that they will commit to purity before marriage. And this builds that trust between them and they can get a clear picture, hopefully without all that emotion that's involved when sexual activity is involved and make a wise decision. Then we ask them to commit to premarital counseling and move towards marriage. And often some couples after times of separation and prayer and premarital counseling where they're asked those really difficult questions, often they realize, you know what, this is not the person for me. Right? And they'll wait on God to bring the right person along. And other couples will look and say, yes, this is sinful to live together. Let's indeed make the commitment to marriage before the Lord and let's make things right. 
So generally speaking, that's how we deal with couples who are living together without children. Well, how do we address the issue of couples living together who have children? Well, that's a little more difficult because now we have children involved. So I'm going to give you some general principles here, okay? but these are just some very general principles in dealing with this very difficult issue. When children are involved, it's a more difficult issue. But the first thing we do is we explain to the couple God's principles for marriage and sexual activity. Then we ask the couple, why have they chosen not to get married and to listen to the reasons that they give? Then most of the time, now remember, I'm speaking in generalities here, all right? Most of the time, we encourage the couple to move towards marriage sooner than later because children are involved. And usually this means they've been together for a while. So we encourage the couple to get married. The reason is because children are involved, children need that stable home, knowing that their parents are in a committed, lifelong relationship with one another. The real difficulty comes is when the couple really begins to examine the relationships and the responsibilities and the relationship they have with one another. Sometimes it's not good for the couple to be married. And that's a really tough one because they may have had one or two children together. And so that's a very difficult situation when they come to realize, you know, we made a mistake here and perhaps marriage is not the best thing for both of us, but children are involved. That's a really, really difficult situation. That's where a lot of prayer and wisdom is involved. Oftentimes, one of the partners is not fit to be a parent and to be a husband or a wife. That's a tremendously difficult situation. You know, I know of one particular situation where a girl got pregnant while in high school and then her and the boyfriend, the father of the child, moved in together and they were just right out of high school. And eventually they started attending the church and the issue was addressed with them. And as they began to think about the issue, it was realized really that both were unfit to be parents and unfit to be in a marriage relationship together. But what do we do now? There is a child that is involved. And actually, there was another one along the way. Well, what do we do here? Well, one of the elders counseled them to put up their child for adoption because the two were not in any position to get married and to raise a child in a healthy family context. And perhaps maybe later down the road, that relationship with the child could change in some way, but to put the child up for adoption. Well, of course, the couple didn't agree to that. And so, you know, the first people involved should be the family, you know, the parents and the extended family. And it was decided that her parents, or actually the grandparents of this child, would end up raising the child until hopefully she was fit and in a better position where she or he could raise the child as their own. But until then, the parents would be raising the child. Tremendously difficult, difficult situation. I don't, you know, there's really not a solid answer for it all. But in that situation where they didn't want to give up the child, it seemed the next best thing, and the grandparents were willing to, they were going to raise the child. That's a very difficult situation. So generally speaking, in most situations, we encourage the couple to get married and then to go through what we call post-marital counseling after the marriage to continue to be accountable to an older couple and to 
seek professional counseling and receive post-marital counseling there, especially because the children are involved. So that are some general principles of how we deal with cohabitation in the church. This is an issue that cannot be ignored in the church. It needs to be addressed. The commandments and the principles for marriage and relationships must be taught and these issues must be addressed. Those living together must be brought to repentance and confess their sin and make things right before the Lord. Remember, God designed marriage. It's the oldest institution in the world, created not by man, but it is created by God. The covenant of marriage, the institution of marriage is not a man-made thing. It's something that God created. And to violate it, we suffer our own consequences, which are devastating. The foundation of any culture and any society is the family, the marriage. And when we alter the definition of marriage or destroy the covenant of marriage, then we suffer the consequences. And cohabitation is something that goes against God's designed covenant of marriage and the institution that he created. And if we destroy this, then not only the couple, but an entire nation and a society suffers the consequences of going against God's oldest and created institution, which is the bedrock of every culture for every nation and society. So although the culture may be moving away from biblical marriage, the church must remain faithful to God's design for relationships and defend the sanctity and honor of biblical marriage. for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. Be sure to join us next time for the continuation of this exciting show. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you including additional audio, articles, and Pat's books. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Oh, 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 oh,